0: Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Midwife Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of honest, expert chat. My mission is to provide you with the very best support and information through pregnancy, birth and beyond with my online courses over at midwifepip.com. And as a podcast listener, I'm also offering you an exclusive 15% of all my online courses using code PODCAST15. With no further ado, let's get chatting. Today's episode is sponsored by Actor Club, and we have invited on Dr. Poonam Krishan. GP and media doctor to chat to us about signs and symptoms to look out for and practical management options and tips to support parents' well-being. Because my goodness, life with a baby who is suffering from reflux is a real, real challenge. So welcome Dr. Poonam and thank you so much for coming on to chat to me. I'm very excited to pick your brains. Oh, thank you for having me on. (laughs) Pleasure, pleasure. So talk to us, please. What are the signs of infant colic, the prevalence? When is it most likely to occur? What do we need to know? What do we need to look out for as parents?
1: yeah and I completely empathize when you said that colic is very very difficult to manage and especially when you are a new mum or parent you know it can be really distressing watching your baby be upset and not understand why now colic itself is when a baby cries a lot and where there's no other obvious underlying cause and it is a very very common problem we tend to see it more around when the baby is anywhere from like two to three four months of age but it can happen or Now, all babies cry, that's what they do. But you know, when it's a problem and when it could be colic, when they're actually crying, now we can essentially say more than three hours a day for three days a week for at least one week. Okay, so Typically, people call it the witching hour where you'll find that the baby becomes more distressed and unhappy. They have that really high pitched cry that you can't console. It tends to be later on in the day, the afternoon or the evenings. Um, and it's when no matter what you do, you know, that would otherwise do with your baby, it doesn't work. They might be really red in the face when they're crying. They might be clenching their fists. They might be bringing their knees up to their tummy or even arching their back. Um, and, and sometimes babies are quite windy as well so you might find that they're you know letting off a lot of wind um and 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 perhaps not pooing alongside that
0: oh it's so tough isn't it because all you want for your tiny little newborn baby is them to be happy and content and comfortable so when it's something that you can't just fix for them straight away it's just heartbreaking isn't it as, as a parent i think to watch that in your little one
1: yeah it really is and i remember it very well when i um with my eldest and uh, And he had silent reflux as well, which kind of complicated things It took us a wee while to figure out what was going on. But I'll never forget, you know, colic when you've not experienced it or not had, you know, a baby that's close to you that's experienced it, you don't quite understand just how debilitating it can feel for you and frustrating as a parent because you want to do everything that you can to to make your baby smile and giggle and laugh but actually it's a myth babies don't come out just cooing and and being happy all the time the vast majority do experience an element of colic at some point Um, Sometimes even when they're going through growth spurts as well, you'll find around the eight week mark, maybe around the 12 week mark, they just become really distressed. Um, but it's important to know that, you know, you're not alone if this is happening. Um, that if you spoke to other parents and actually some of the support sometimes comes from that, we can chat about that later. But just having a chat with others and you'll find that you're not the only one, but there are things that you can do to help.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And we'll go on to touch about those. I wonder if you could just explain to us, Dr. pinam what what kind of is causing colic? What is it in our babies? And we often hear about these terms, colic and reflux, I think quite interchangeably. Yeah. But the symptoms, yeah. am I right in
1: thinking, are pretty similar. So the symptoms are, there is a bit of overlapping and actually we don't understand exactly why colic happens. Uh, and colic itself is a word that describes kind of pain and spasm of the bowels. Now, if we think about it, you know, babies... They're, they've been in a very comfortable space in the womb for you know a very long time they have everything that they need they're warm they're safe there's you know it's it's just a place of real comfort and then they come out into the world and it's just such a shock to their system and remember these are just little people um and then they have to trans kind of transition into a world where they're being given food uh you know depending on the type the type of feed and you know that you choose for your baby it could be having an impact on how they they absorb that and how their gut matures. And some babies you know, might be born prematurely, they might have a bit of an immature gut um, and, and all these things can feed into it. And it would be the same for us if we were to have a sudden change in our diet, our bowels would react to that so we do need to give them some grace some space to kind of allow for maturation of their 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 gut but also when it comes to reflux um you know reflux is is when they're having excess amounts of acid which are kind of going up into the into the esophagus into the gullet and it can be really distressing and um, but the overlapping things as in reflux babies tend to either vomit a lot um, they tend to not they, go, they can even go off their feeds um they can they can be distressed in other ways and silent reflex is a term that that kind of gets used a lot where they might not be vomiting but they'll be experiencing these bouts and fits of complete distress Uh, and that's where it's important that if, if that's happening and they're not feeding as well they're not gaining weight they're not thriving that you need to speak to your health visitor or your GP as soon as possible. With colic, however, it's a little bit different in that the babies do tend to feed pretty well and they are otherwise well and gaining weight. But it's these inconsolable periods of crying um, that, that lets you know that actually it's more likely to be colic than reflux. Mm, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. I think that'll
0: help help some clarity in parents' minds for sure. Now, mm. this inconsolable crying, let's delve into this because I think that's where the biggest challenge comes in for parents, doesn't it? Like, yeah. oh, so difficult. How can parents try to soothe their babies if they are struggling with colic? What would you recommend trying out?
1: Yeah, so I think that the first thing I would say is just, it's just as much as you can is be kind to yourself as a parent. You know that you can often just start off the process by feeling a sense of failure that you've done something wrong, that it's your fault that your baby's crying, and it's not at all. And and remember that as I said, this is a whole new transition into a whole new world for your little one. So. I think that that when I heard that as a mum the first time, it just it just brought a lot of comfort to me because I was like, OK, so what does my baby want? My baby wants to be close to me. And I think we often underestimate the power of just actually that nurture that, you know, your baby may be sitting in, in their Moses lying in their Moses basket and um, away from you in a, in a room that's completely alien to them compared to the womb, you know, actually just picking them up holding them really close, maybe giving them skin to skin, cuddling them, you know, rocking them. and um, th- Those kind of things actually have a huge role to play and are more powerful than just, you know, reaching out for medication. Um, when you're feeding them often as well, like much like we wouldn't advise adults, we wouldn't say, you know, after having a meal, immediately go and lie down because you will experience wind, you'll experience reflux, you'll be quite uncomfortable in your tummy. Babies are exactly the same and they need that power of gravity as well. So after you have fed them, hold them upright for a while, you know, wind them and winding babies is extremely important. Um, and, and sometimes even just, you know, swaddling them, um, as I said, keeping them close, rocking them in their buggies, that helps. A warm bath used to really help my little one. Um, and, and I think that, that that's quite important and making sure that when you are feeding your baby as well just kind of keeping those kind of feed times regular um and and if none of that works then that's where you probably want to say okay it's it, the prolonged periods of crying over several days um especially over the course of a week now is maybe the time to have a chat with my health visitor about it um or speak to my gp
0: Mm, I love what you said there about the cuddles. I just think the power of a cuddle between a mum and a baby is incredible, isn't it? I th- Absolutely. I feel like often we forget what babies have done, like inside the womb, they've got this really secure little environment where they just hear your heartbeat and they're swimming around the amniotic fluid and they smell mum, then they come into this very odd, scary world, don't they? Like everything is stimulation, everything is new. You are mm-hmm. their only kind of security and familiarity. And I often think we kind of we kind of forget that because perhaps we see so often
1: pitch the baby sleeping peacefully in their cot. And that's yeah. so not
0: the reality, is it?
1: It's not the reality. And I think that and this is where I maybe take the GP hat off a little and, and reflect on my own journey as a mum and just how difficult I found that time I found it very isolating actually because when I spoke to fellow mums and of course I see babies all the time I do postnatal checks I do the six-week baby and mum checks I work with the health visitor in my surgery and and I know that it's not normal you know the vast majority of babies sit in the spectrum of of having colicky bouts they all go through growth spurts it's it's actually rarer to find that perfect sleeping baby than it is is to find, you know, babies that will cry because it's their only way of communicating. And I think that we don't do any justice to one another as mums as well, when we when we kind of just talk about all the good bits and don't say, well, actually last night it was cluster feeding, it was absolutely hell. I'm absolutely exhausted. She and not stop crying. You know, there's nothing that's a sense of failure in that. But also reminding ourselves that our babies are just little people. And one of the most powerful advice again, I got, I got it from my mum. She was like forget what everybody else is saying forget what the books are saying read your baby um and I think that the power of reading your baby and just holding them close to you um and that physiologically for both mum and baby is is so massive because it releases all those incredible chemicals and feel good hormones and all that oxytocin and the love and and you know what it relaxes both mum and as soon as mum feels a bit relaxed because it can be very frustrating especially when you're exhausted as well You know, all of that kind of frustration lifting has a knock on effect on your baby. And if we remember ourselves as grown ups, when we are stressed, we're more likely to be windy, more likely to experience things like IBS, more likely to have things like reflux. So it's the same for our babies.
0: Oh, 100%. I often feel like the kind of biological needs of our baby in terms of that like closeness and contact with us kind of doesn't match the societal expectations of us as parents anymore. And I feel like that really when we think about babies with digestive discomfort and things like colic, that really, really comes to light. So I wonder, what would you recommend? We talked about that frustration that definitely creeps in. And we, of course, don't want to be frustrated at our newborn babies, but we're only human, aren't we? We are only human and it's a tough time. What kind of, because it's having such an effect, I suppose, on parental well-being. What kind of things can parents try to do to try and keep themselves calm and to try and manage those really difficult days and nights?
1: Yeah, I think I think that one of the most important things is about accepting that you're not alone and that this was never designed to be something that you were supposed to do alone. Um, and so that means reaching out for support. And a lot of us can sometimes feel that that, that immediately Determines that you're not a good mum or a parent, and um, that you've somehow failed, um you know, your baby, and and people are going to judge you. But actually, you know, everyone's been there. Everyone will remember. And actually, for people that are close to, uh, and I think that sometimes these NTT classes, they should really be with, you know, everyone that's close to the family that's about to have a child should also have some lessons. Is that, you know, don't enforce your opinions. Every baby is different. So, you know. Surround yourself with people that are going to be encouraging, empowering and supporting you rather than the ones that are going to tell you what to do and try this and try that or maybe you're doing this wrong. You want to steer clear. So have the power to say, actually, I need support. So reach out to your your family, your friends, your relatives, your neighbours, anyone at all know that your health visitor isn't, isn't there just to do the checks and leave Um, that you know you, they're there to, to give you that safe space to talk about how you're getting on so say to them look this is what the pattern is what can I do to help or speak to your GP I understand I'm an NHS GP myself That the pressures at the moment in the NHS are huge and therefore you might be feeling frustrated that you're not getting through but Remember that you and your baby are the ones that matter. So put your foot down and say, no, I do need help. I need you to listen to me. Is there something wrong with my baby? What else can be done? Mm, And I guess that probably comes to that trusting your gut instinct as a parent as well,
0: because my goodness, that's powerful, isn't
1: it? Yes, it is so important. Nobody knows... Your baby, the way that you know your baby, we have this instinctive thing um, that binds us with them. So if your gut is telling you something isn't right, never ignore it.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your wonderful GP and mummy wisdom with us today. I'm really, really grateful, Dr. Poonam. Thank you for having me on. Reflux must be up there with one of the most challenging but common conditions that new parents and babies face seeing your little one uncomfortable and upset is heartbreaking and i am excited to bring you this episode packed with expert information and guidance to cut through the confusion and help you to navigate this tough time Anya homer the founder of the baby reflux lady is joining me today to answer your questions around infant reflux following her own experience in mothering two babies with infant reflux Anya was inspired to develop a way to support other parents and equip them with the knowledge needed to help their baby. After two babies, not just with reflux, but also cow's milk protein allergies and multiple other food intolerances and allergies between them and three years of postnatal depression to boot, Anya knew she had to do something to provide the support that just wasn't there when she needed it. And thus the baby reflux lady was born. Now, despite what doctors may say, reflux is not normal and parents don't have to wait for their babies to simply grow out of it. Anya's gonna be explaining loads more to us about reflux, but if you want to check out some more information and Anya's incredible work, then you can find her website, instagram page baby reflux lady and facebook all linked in the episode description so welcome anya and thank you so much for coming on to debunk this common uh newborn condition reflux
2: thanks pip i'm so so delighted to have the opportunity to talk about it um because reflux is a massive massive issue and it gets me that you know you already use the words in the intro that reflux is normal this is this myth that we as a society have come to believe that it's okay for babies to be in pain and personally after watching as you said both of my kids go through it and having gone through the associated postnatal depression myself and the incredible stress that it introduced my relationship with my husband There is nothing normal about reflux. And I think when we start to understand it better, we get the opportunity to allow babies to be free of pain, allow their parents to get on with all of the other stuff that comes with children. You know, it's not, having kids is not an easy journey. And we all go into it, you know, hoping that we have our eyes open. And for the half of parents who get blindsided by reflux and colic, it makes it an awful lot harder than it otherwise could be.
0: Mm-mm. And you just said that on your half of parents. So does that mean that like 50% of babies suffer with things like colic and reflux? Is that is that right?
2: Yeah. So the official stats from the... The UK NHS and from the US CDC Center of Disease Control, their estimates are about fifty percent of babies wow. will experience reflux. Like that is that's huge. It is. It's three hundred and seventy thousand babies in the UK alone every yeah. year. Like this is a repetitive number. Yeah, yeah. It's over one point nine million babies in the US. Um, Ireland at the moment have kept their stats at about forty percent. Um, Australia, New Zealand say twenty percent. And when we take into these considerations, you know, some of them will be that some countries say 20 percent, some say 50 percent on a global birth rate. I did the numbers last year. We're talking about somewhere between three and 31 million infants per year affected by reflux. And it's not just the babies, it's the relationships they have with their parents, its parents and their confidence in parenting, its other siblings in the home like it affects. So much more than just the individual who is struggling with reflex.
0: Of course, like it's that whole family unit. I think that's always really important to recognize. So for anyone listening who has got a baby currently with reflux and is thinking, what on earth? You know, it must feels like that lonely place where you just don't know what to do. And you're at kind of your your wit's end with it. Actually, that's quite reassuring to know that you are not on your own. There is so many other people going through the same thing. But again, with common things, we normalize them. and, And the fact that it's common shouldn't mean it's normal. I think that's important, isn't it? exactly
2: that's the that's the exact words to to use pip and there is this element of well just because lots of kids have it well Mm. surely it's normal and this is where understanding what's going on for each child we kind of step back and go no it's not normal and every single parent of a child who has reflux or colic or is being diagnosed with purple crying if they're in the us they know in their heart, like you absolutely know there's your baby is trying to tell you something. Mm. You might not know what it is, but the fact that parents go to their doctors or ask their health visitors and public health nurses and ask the midwives, like my baby's crying too much. There's that gut instinct going, they're trying to tell me something Mm. and I just don't know what it is. Yeah. And that is the foundational element and place to start is as a parent, you know, tune back into your parenting instincts. If you feel your child is more unsettled than they, than you think they should be, then let's just ask a few more questions to them up by going, Oh, that's just colic. Let's leave them cry for three hours on their own. Personally, I've never met a parent of a baby with, with reflux or colic or any sort of crying who's actually able to to leave them down and go no it's okay it's just colic it. let's leave them cry for three hours yeah that's what the literature would have us do but it's not actually what people do in 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 practice it it's no. fundamentally impossible for us to have that heart disconnection to our children and go I'll just let you cry
0: yeah oh just my gosh matter. it just goes against every innate you know natural instinct that you have as a protective yeah. mother doesn't it it's just so just so we can let's backtrack a little bit on you what What actually is reflux so that we've got a really clear understanding of what's going on inside our babies if they have got this symptom?
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Poonam Krishan, GP and media doctor. Did you know that common infant feeding problems include reflux, colic and constipation? To provide a summary for your healthcare professional about any symptoms your baby may have, Sign up to www.aptoclub.co.uk to access the Baby Symptom Checker.
2: So we'll have reflux and, gas and, and uh, silent reflux. Reflux, both of them, are the movement of something from the stomach into the esophagus. That is all that reflux is. It's regurgitation. Mm-hmm. With reflux, um, and the, the medical term is gastroesophageal reflux, it means something goes from the stomach into the esophagus. And that's why we shorten yeah. it to reflux. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because it's, it's just too long. And then we get the medics will describe gastroesophageal reflux disease. And the addition of the word disease, and this is from the official uh, NICE guidelines. It's in the European and North American uh, Paediatric Society guidelines. This distinction is that it causes marked distress. That's all. They say it's oh gore is normal, but gored nah that's when it causing distress. Um What we have between reflux and silent reflux is that reflux produces like a visible vomit. Something leaves baby's mouth. Silent reflux is it comes up somewhere in the esophagus or into the nasal passages, you might observe a baby swallowing frequently but never vomiting right so that's the right. distinction what i will say to extend that is the medical society um and institutes will also describe reflux as anything that is a very unsettled baby who appears to have no other issues going on with them at all you might get babies who are very have lots of digestive discomfort they will be classified as having reflux. Now, in truth, from a true understanding that reflux is regurgitation, that's not necessarily reflux. Even though it gets diagnosed as reflux, that's actually a digestive discomfort. But it all, it all comes down to discomfort in the digestive system, which, when we understand, we can do something
0: about that's really helpful i think that's really helpful people understand those two differences as well and i think sometimes the term silent is therefore a little bit misleading because actually it's it's a visibility rather than a sound isn't it in terms oh, of yeah, diagnosing the two different ones yeah nothing yeah, not about silent. reflux um, and, and actually that leads us on quite nicely to what what does a refluxy baby look like Anya? what should we be looking out for our little ones if we're trying to keep a close eye and ear out for reflux yeah so the first thing is exactly what I said a few minutes ago
2: is a parent's gut instinct. If you feel your baby is more unsettled than they otherwise should be, then pay attention. If you were to adopt your baby's behaviors as your own, would you be happy living with them? So, for example, That's nice. if I was to drink a cup of coffee and then excuse myself three months later going, I'm sorry, I just need to throw that up and do that three or four times a day. I'm not sure I would be happy with that being my way of life, even if I'm, and you know, I'm not going to be happy waiting 12 months for it to just go away.
0: And right, not really, not even understanding that process because you as an adult in your brain can kind of process what that is, as unpleasant as it is, whereas yeah. a baby has no idea, do they? So it's even even more scary and vulnerable. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: And the the symptoms of reflux for parents to look out for. This is where it's a really, really, really gray area because, and this is where the medics get confused, there is no set of symptoms. Mm. This is where I disagree with that term gastroesophageal reflux disease. Reflux is not actually a disease in its own right. It has no underlying common pathogen that's there all the time. You know, if you take coronavirus, you test for it, there's something present in everybody. Everybody has this same sort of viral bug thing. That's coronavirus. That's a disease. You know, you look at some of the more, you know, common diseases, you look at cancer. That is a very identifiable mutation in every single form of cancer that then fits it into that bucket. Reflux there's no blood test for reflux, there's no DNA test for reflux. It's all observation. And there is no one set of symptoms that goes, if a child presents with dum-dum-dum-dum-dum, that's reflux.
0: And that's what makes it so hard, right, for, for the medical professionals seeing these babies. Exactly. What we need
2: to do is change our viewpoint, okay? We need to change the viewpoint. We're looking in, at the minute, the medics are looking in a small window into a into a square room and they can't see around the corners. We need to go around to the other end where there's a wall of glass where we can just see everything that's in the room. It's just changing the viewpoint. When we look at reflux as a symptom in its own right, and we start to see what else is going on with it, then we start to see what the underlying cause is. But frequent frequent symptoms is babies generally unhappy. They, they, they might have really poor sleep. Um, they will very frequently have uh, digestive discomfort of some sort. They might have difficulty feeding. Um, they might have vomiting. They might not have vomiting. They might have projectile vomiting. They might have very frequent spit up. They might be described as a happy spitter. They may or may not have problems gaining weight. You know, these are all things that people tend to look for, but may or may not be there. Mm-hmm. Um We get uh, eczema, rashes, uh, mucus in the poo. Um, we get different types of vomit. You'll get watery vomit. You'll have... Uh, you know, baby dribbling while they're feeding. The list goes on and on. I mean, on my my website, I've got a free symptoms tracker to help parents figure this out. We look at over 80, eight zero different symptoms, signs, behaviours and events in a child's life that we look at first to see if a child experiences something regularly and is generally unhappy then there's probably something we can figure out and do about it. Like, for example, a child who has hiccups. This is where understanding the frequency and severity is really important. If you ask a parent, you know, does your baby hiccup? Invariably, everyone says, well, yeah. For sure, yeah. But do they hiccup seven times a day or once every seven days? Mm. They are two very different symptoms and behaviours the child who hiccups once a week, we're not really concerned about those hiccups. They're not telling us anything. The child who hiccups seven times a day or even three times a day, right, that child definitely has excess air in their tummy and they're getting it in repeatedly. So we'll go back and look at what else, what are the sources of air intake that we might want to address? How can we do that in a holistic manner? Um, so yeah, unfortunately, it's not the easiest question to answer in the symptoms, but go, I always go back to gut instinct. You know, is your baby more unsettled than they should be? In that case, we can unpick the patterns and then see what's going on for them.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point, isn't it? And it it reminds me of pregnancy a little bit on you with what you were describing there in that so many things isolated on their own or infrequent are normal. But it's yeah. when you piece everything together that you've got all of these little, little kind of triggers um, that are adding up. And oh my gosh, gut instinct as a mother is like our number one superpower, isn't it? It's so powerful. Absolutely. We should always, always take note of it.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. Like the the power of our gut instinct is just it, it's on it's unbelievable when we tune into it. If there is that nagging feeling that something's not quite right, listen to it. Probably isn't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So given how, I guess, tricky it can be to navigate the diagnosis of reflux and those variable symptoms and sometimes probably quite vague symptoms, can it often be confused with anything else reflux? Do you often see a sort of a misdiagnosis or parents going down an incorrect path?
2: Yeah, so the the challenge we have is the medics have very little in their toolbox other than their their stepped approach, which is watch and wait. You know, reassure parents that it's normal. Then they'll try um, reducing or changing feeds to be more uh, smaller feeds more frequently. Then they might suggest thickening milks to make it more difficult for baby to vomit them out. And their next step then is medication, and they step up the medication. They usually start with something like uh, an alginate, which is most frequently Gavascon And then um, if you're in the UK, it's usually a PPI, which is a or And the medications that end in Prazole. Or in the US, they might start with a H2RA such as famotidine first and then a PPI. They don't have the guidance and background knowledge to look for skills or to look for the symptoms and understand what the story is. The medications never address the underlying cause of reflux. Sure. And so we're missing out on so many things like my own daughter, my eldest, she was diagnosed officially with colic and when she hadn't grown out of the colic by five and a half months and I'm okay, we'll change it to reflux, but like you don't do anything <laughs> different. I'm like, well, what then? Um, so this for me is about understanding what we do sooner.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There are extremely rare cases where reflux is a symptom of something more sinister so my approach is if we understand every child's reflux it should take us no more than six weeks and that's for a super complex case to work out everything that's going on for a child at the moment some kids are struggling for three or four years before they get
1: the actual
2: diagnosis of what's going on um we get Reflux being misdiagnosed. So, for example, I've had I've had a number of clients come to me that I've had to send to A&E going, I suspect your baby has this because of these symptoms. Please go to Mm -hmm. A&E. I've had. In the last year, two out of the three that I sent were there because of there was this sinister thing going on and because Uh I got there early, absolutely fine dealt with. Um, like one of them was pyloric stenosis, which is when the pylorus valve, the, the valve out of the stomach and the small intestine clamps shut.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, babies with this, they're not getting anything through the stomach. It's a very, very quick and uh, easy as far as surgeries go. It's keyhole surgery. It's a surgical repair. It releases the valve and then everything goes back to normal but without that identification like I've had parents come to me going the doctor says it's okay the doctor says it's okay and leave it for another few days I'm like I've got all the red signs here Mm.
0: I'm going to
2: send you there and you're going to ask for this you know it's diagnosed with an ultrasound which is a non-invasive test and that's where babies trick
0: us isn't it because they are so resilient you know they kind of they cope and they cope and they cope and they cope and then they crash and that's why like you say being on it is so important (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're just taking a quick pause from this episode so that I can share with you a brand that I know you're going to love as much as I do. My little Finlay is growing up fast and is almost on the move, which means it's now time to start making our home safe for him. Did you know that every single week, at least one child under five years of age dies in an accident? of which happen in their own home. I think this is terrifying. And this is why the team at Cheeky Rascals offer a variety of products that not only help make parents' lives easier, but are also the safest on the market, including brands like Love to Dream, Rocket, and the Fred Baby Proofing Safety Range, which has everything you need to keep your little one safe and your mind at ease. I want to support you to make your home safer for your little one and prevent them coming to any harm. So Cheeky Rascals are sponsoring this podcast and offering you 15% of Fred safety products using the code MIDWIFEPIP15.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had babies with blood and poo and they're like going, that needs to go to A&E right now. You know, and they're like, well, my doctor says to watch and wait. I'm like, I disagree with your doctor on this case because of X, Y, and Z. We can, it can be confused with other things, which is why the approach I take, going through all the symptoms, like it takes me less than 40 minutes to work out with a parent what are the most likely things going on. If you take action and that action, doesn't give you the results you're expecting within a week, then you go, okay, fine. We need to dive deeper and dive deeper and dive deeper. There's also red flag symptoms at the very beginning. You're like, if you see any of these, go to the doctor and this is what you wanna ask for. You know, and and so by looking at the root cause and figuring that out first, I think we get better support for all babies much faster because we're able to rule out those more complex things most sinister more sinister things because we know we understand the patterns that we're looking at Mm. you know it's about it's it's a bit like doing a really complex jigsaw you know the doctors at the minute are doing a thousand piece jigsaw with the lovely green cardboardy thing turned up and they've thrown away the picture (laughs) it's not impossible but it takes longer the way i do it i turn all the pieces over and i've got a reference picture and it's like oh i can pick up a piece and go right that's where it goes You know, and the more pieces or symptoms you put together, the more confident you are that, yeah, this bit goes in that top left hand corner and this is the orientation it goes in. So getting the full picture is always, always important.
0: I love that analogy. And also I like the fact that your approach feels very individualized and recognizing that one baby is going to have different symptoms, is going to cope or display differently. To another. Yes. And one of the other things you mentioned that, Anya, with your own child's diagnosis was that confusion with colic. And I think colic's another condition we hear about all the time. What is the, the kind of difference, if you like, between colic and reflux?
2: Essentially, there's no difference. A baby with colic is very unhappy. Typically, they won't be throwing up and therefore won't get the diagnosis of reflux.
0: Sure. But actually, it could be that silent reflux you spoke about.
2: Yeah. And while the British Medical Journal have tried to move away from the three you know the hour the three hours crying three days a week for three weeks, um like a child with colic cries every day <laughs> seriously, every day, and it is evening times and I started to look at this with my daughter ninety nine percent of babies with colic will relax when they pass gas they're just releasing a oh. Mm -hmm. That tells me that their digestive system was causing some sort of irritation for them and probably that gas. So Mm -hmm. let's rewind and go, well, why is that excess gas in there? How is it getting there? What's the source of it? And therefore, we can resolve that as well. You know, colic is digestive discomfort. The the British Medical Journal have started to recognize that. It's just not in the, you know, the, the nice guidelines yet about what colic is. When we start to look at it through a different lens of digestive discomfort, we get to go. Okay, the next question is, how is it getting there? What's causing that, and how do we address that? And sometimes, it could be like this. Could be that baby is drinking air. It could be that they're just crying too much. It could be that if uh, if mom's breastfeeding, that she's eating something that isn't quite agreeing with baby's body, or it's not being digested fully, or it could be that there's something in their milk that isn't. Fully being digested by their body, and so it's fermenting. We need to understand what is at source. When we solve things at the source, we get a cascade of positive benefits. Like this is this is my engineering background coming in. It's root cause (laughs) analysis. Always, what is what is the problem here, and therefore, it's the only question we ever need to ask is what is causing this child's discomfort. When we can answer that question we can do so much more. It's a really, really powerful question. Mm,
0: That's really helpful, I think, for people, for for those listening that are perhaps sort of, you know, trying to navigate a diagnosis. Perhaps it's conflicting advice. It's all a bit confusing. I think that's a really nice way of of summarising that. Um, And obviously, Onya, prevention is always going to be better than cure. No parent wants to have to try and identify the problem with their baby. They'd much rather it was just never there in the first place. Um, Are there any kind of predisposing factors to reflux or any things that parents parents can try to implement and do to reduce the risk of your their child developing it.
1: Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new brainy chews to help you focus, chill out or get energised. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: Uh, yes and no. <laughs> the challenge with reflux is that depending on what it is, and because of the 30 plus different causes of reflux, it's very difficult to say if you do this, they won't get that. Sure. Some of them are completely unpreventable. However, 99% of them are resolvable. We can address. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, I have created, like, I think it, as far as I know, it's the only, um, it's the only antenatal class that specifically talks about reflux. Um, and we look at it. Well, addressing some of the things that can happen in pregnancy How can we mitigate them? Sometimes we can't avoid them, but how do we go? Okay, well, for example, um uh mum might have gestational diabetes. Okay, so what that might mean is baby might be bigger than they otherwise would be for size. It might make birth more difficult, so there might be some birth trauma there. Um baby might have been squashed or squished in utero, so that might affect them. It might elevate mum's um adrenals and like her stress levels, which also can have an impact and all of these things we can do things to resolve when we understand them. So the antenatal course is all about understanding. Well, as you go through pregnancy, these are the things that can have an impact. Mm. These are some of the things you can do. We can't guarantee that we're not going to get, you know, by changing folic acid or folic supplementation or changing when mom starts it, we're not going to guarantee that tongue tie does or doesn't happen. Mm. And that almost is irrelevant because at the other end, we know that if there is oral restriction, we can do something about it. Um, And it's about providing that confidence, I think, to parents that even if you do get a baby, I get a lot of parents um, who have decided not to have another child because of the Mm. reflux experience with the first. And that breaks my heart. But I know exactly I know exactly where they're coming from. That's why I've only got two. it's that understanding that we can have the tools to do something about it much sooner. You know, it was 12 months of help my first daughter. It was two weeks of bliss at my second, and then three weeks, of three months where it got hellish. And then I learned more. They were my biggest teachers. And, you know, I found out more underlying cause of the reflux at my second, but I was able to address it much, much more quickly. And so I was in a better place. I knew what all the things I could do and what I was looking for with her but in, in, a, in a better way. I didn't know as much as I know now. And if I was looking back at it now, like I can, I can look at photographs and go, oh, oh, I can see that. Oh yeah, well, that was a rash. That was definitely allergy, but I was told it was normal, you know? And yeah, it's just about, it. it is about the, the details. It is all about the details
0: knowledge is power, isn't it? And I think, you know, that that preparation is so, so key. And one of the things I'm really encouraging women to do as much as possible now is in pregnancy, there's so much information, isn't there, of course, about pregnancy and birth preparation. But I think starting to look at preparing for motherhood, having a baby, the postpartum, um, it's also really important, isn't it? Just sort of exploring what's normal, what isn't. So that although you might not have a massive in-depth understanding of managing reflux in your pregnancy, if you know what to look out for and how quickly you should seek support, even just that is really, really powerful, isn't it? In making that journey a little bit smoother. It is, it is. Do you know what? It's, it's like trying to spell
2: supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, <laughs> Unless you know the words of the song... You can't do it. Like, it's like, oh, that's mind boggling. However, if you sit down and you listen to Mary Poppins, you're like, okay, I can do this. Yeah, I've got the guidance. I've got the song. I can do it. And so we can actually break things down to be much more simple. You know, we get these really complex things. And that's one. I remember being like in in my management consultancy years, my gift was having a really, really complex program. And just being able to simplify it and go, well, if we do this here and then do that and then do this and tell a really joined up story, it's like, ah, I get that. And this comes back to when parents have the knowledge, like I don't advise my clients to do anything. It's like, like this is what's going on for your child. If you do this, this is what should happen and then do this. It's the decision of the parents I work with, what they choose to do. But they're they're making decisions from a very empowered, informed place.
0: Hmm.
2: You know, I don't say go get a tongue tie cut without explaining, Okay, this is what's going on for your child's tongue. This is what I'm seeing in the video. This is what is normal behavior. This is what you should be able to do. And if your baby's not able to do that, then they have some sort of oral restriction that we need to have assessed and supported and then all the associated physiotherapy afterwards and oral play to allow them to use their tongue correctly. You know, people think a tongue tie release, it's magic. It's like, well, it's not. It's like going to feeding for a baby who's feeding with a a tongue restriction. It's like going to the gym and doing shoulder presses, but your hand is, you know, level with your shoulder and going up and down by about three inches. Mm. And you could do that for 20 years and go, yeah, I'm really strong. That's great. I can lift 20 kilos. If you suddenly got a whole new range of movement, you know, the next time you go to the gym, you're like amazing. And your arm shoots up into the air and you've got great range of movement. Two days later, you can't get a cup out of the cupboard. (laughs) All the muscles are going, no, no, don't do that. And so it's that understanding the complexity of those muscles and how we need to support children in learning these new skills. You know, we've got an oral guide, an oral play course just for that to help this happen, to allow parents to support their children in this way. And it is all my work is about education. Because when we have the knowledge, we then get to take responsibility and go, ah, this, I know why I'm doing this. And I know why I'm doing that. And if it doesn't give the results, okay, come back. That didn't work. Okay, why didn't it work? What else changed? You know, I work with clients. I don't tell them what to do. It's we, we figure it out on a baby by baby basis
0: and that's really empowering i think for parents to to build that relationship and be so proactive and be be that real troubleshooter and that advocate for their child because that's all we want to do right as as parents yeah now Anya, i know you probably have you know like so many different things you explore when you're working with parents that are struggling with reflux but what are some of the common kind of troubleshooting things that might help resolve um influx uh, reflux in babies
2: yeah, so I mean, the, the, the real key is answering that question I mentioned earlier on, which is identifying what is the underlying cause. Mm, sure. We don't we don't get magical answers by try, try this, try that, try the other. Like I get so many parents who will try osteopathy or try chiropractic or get a tongue tie released and try medication. And sometimes they're doing all the right things, but in the wrong order.
0: Mm, sure, that makes sense. So yeah.
2: we need, like, it really is understanding exactly what's going on and listening to your baby you know some of the really simple things observing sleep patterns like i have met children who have had reflux and got medicated for reflux for months and the underlying cause was overstimulation Baby literally was out. These are these, This was pre-COVID. So when, when parents actually went out after three days birth, you know, we went out to see the aunt and aunt the class. We have to, to go and get the coffee. Um, leave the house. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You could leave the house and there was places to go <laughs> to welcome you in. But these children, I was seeing them, they were getting overstimulated because the pressure of society and culture at the time was you need to be out and you need to be seeing and do this and do that. But actually for a six-day-old... <laughs> a cafe is a really busy place like imagine being landed on mars like you you go to bed and you wake up you're on mars and you're on your own you're like oh
0: what there's all these I, lights and oh, these strange people, people and noise and yeah
2: exactly and so babies communicate by crying and when they cry they go wah, <gasps> and in that inhalation they fill their chest and their tummies with air and that air becomes a compounding factor. And that can be a direct... Sorry, there's a crow on the roof. Um, if you can hear something knocking, there's Stop a crow it. just landed on the roof. Um, the, that air can drive reflux. And so it becomes cyclical because you get one better reflux of stomach acid in the throat. And all of a sudden, baby's like, that hurts. I'm going to cry because this hurts. And then they're breathing in more air. And then that causes more reflux and it becomes cyclical. You've got that cycle, now, sure. So now this child has reflux... Well, the doctor has nothing to do but medicate, Mm. and so all we needed to do was actually pay more attention to baby in the first instance. Obey them when they're going, Mom. I'm tired. Okay, let let's get you sleep then. Let's, you know, put you in a small little safe cocoon, especially in the early days. Is respecting all of these things that we're taught about the fourth trimester is respecting babies need to have a gradual introduction and exposure to this incredibly massive world when they've just exposed, you know, they've just been exposed from this beautiful safe cocoon. Um, So there's that there's uh, looking at and paying attention to how you're feeding baby. You know, if baby says I've had enough, maybe they've had enough. Just because the tin says, you know, for a formula-fed baby, just because it says they should have between four and six ounces doesn't mean they have to have six ounces at every single feed. Mm. There's paying attention to baby. Whereas a breastfed baby, we have no idea how much they're getting fed because very few of us put baby on a scale before and put baby on a scale afterwards. Oh, that's 37 mils that they just had. We don't know. We trust baby to know themselves a bit more. So, doing a bit more demand-fed bottle feeding for bottle-fed babies will help as well. Is respecting what they think they need. Um, again, you've got to do all that in balance because you've got to make sure baby is gaining weight appropriately as well. So it does get more complex if baby is uh, is not thriving. But again, it's going well. Why are they not thriving? What's going on? You know, it's unfortunately it's not a, a simple just do this and, and you'll be okay. It's answer that question and it'll be okay.
0: And then, so I love that sort of, you know, that working backwards and then looking at that whole baby, that whole environment, the whole family unit, and really working with them to find the, the solution that's going to be right for them. And and I guess it's one of those things on your, I'm, I'm assuming you'll agree that what works for, you know, Joe Bloggs next door might not work for you and your baby. And that's okay. And, and we're all individual, yeah. right? Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: And there is the nuances of, you know, I work with some clients, and I'm like, I can't possibly do that. I'm like, well, that's fine. Let's find out what fits with you and with your life and with your other four children.
0: Mm. You know,
2: some parents, you know, it's their fifth child, and they're going, I literally can't stay in this. I can't, you know, be in the house and do this and focus 100 percent on one child. It's just not possible. Um, things like that. Like another tip, actually, is a back, a really good, proper back structured carrier for babies with reflux babies love the safety of a parent they love the movement and they love to be upright and held and sports properly you know you you probably know pip a a good carrier has to be fitted correctly you can't just go and buy anything from the closest shop it's like getting a bra that has to fit two people you know (laughs) and and the same carrier for one child might not fit the next which is why some babies will get into a carrier and they're like, no, it's just not comfortable for them. It hasn't been fitted correctly, you know? So go visit the local sling library, get somebody who knows how to fit them, to fit them properly. And my second daughter was three weeks old by the time I had figured out how I could swing her up onto my shoulders into the back carrier and nestle her there. And she would be happy there for three or four hours because she wasn't happy anywhere else. But the back carrier for me gave me my own physical space back allowed me to interact with my other daughter. And so we had playtime while the little one slept. And if she if she moves like, oh, I can I can move, but I'm still giving my focus to my other girl. You know, I can have a cup of tea without worrying if I was going to spill it on her head. You know, I was able to make dinner. The power of a carrier is like a proper carrier is phenomenal. It gives baby the comfort and the safety and all of that that they need. It is it is a coping strategy. It's not going to resolve reflux, but it does help with, with our own mental health. It helps with baby to be in the right position to be supported, to have the love and support they need because that's the other thing is the first year is absolutely foundational in baby's sense of safety. You know, this is why even if we can't do anything for, for a child's pain in that moment, sometimes just being there and holding them is enough. Hmm. You know, they get that reassurance of, okay, this hurts, but I'm safe.
0: And that builds their brain for life, doesn't it? You know, we know Absolutely. how powerful that first 1,000 days of a child's life is. And and yeah. we want to make that positive and nurturing and incredible to set them up for the best future because we want the very best for our children's parents. And, and Absolutely. That's, that's only natural. Now, Anya, I think this next one's going to be hard for you, but I wonder if you could give us. Just three top tips for parents that are navigating life with infant reflux. It's going to be hard to narrow it down because I know how passionate you are about this subject. It is. (laughs) It is. The first one, because thankfully, secret tip, everybody, Pip,
2: told me about these beforehand. So how about a little bit? The first one is always trust yourself. You know, I know lots, I know there's lots of us out there now telling parents to trust yourself, but I really mean it. You know, Mm -hmm. if you think there is something going on for your child... If they're more uncomfortable than they should be, then trust that and listen to yourself. Um, the next one goes on like, is that question? Answer that question of what's causing my baby's discomfort. And the last one is if... Actually, I've got two. Go on, we'll let you off. You, I'm, I'm <laughs> going go to because they're all sort of linked. If you don't like the answer that you've got from somebody, ask somebody else. Mm. Don't keep going back to the same person who keeps telling you an answer you don't like. If you don't like the answer as a parent, you're like, okay, I don't like the answer. I'm going to ask somebody else. Um, And the last one is, and I give this to all my clients as well, is you're the absolute expert in your child. Nobody knows them as well as you do. So when you ask anybody else for their input, be it a doctor, a midwife, a a me, a book, an allergist, take what resonates and what works and leave what doesn't mm. you know it is it is your job as a parent to curate all this information for your child because every child is different and go this bit works for our child this bit works that one didn't you know don't spend hours winding your baby in a particular uh, in a particular way because somebody on youtube said it was a good idea it's like try it if it works brilliant run with it if it doesn't find something else Park it. yeah find something else move on yeah
0: oh anya thank you it's been really great to talk to you and i really hope that this has helped to i guess open the eyes and support parents that perhaps are going through reflux or are concerned about it and yeah. um, because i'm sure most most expectant parents have heard reflux horror stories from friends and mm-hmm. families i know i certainly did in pregnancy um, but if anyone wants more support and information then please check out all of anya's um links and courses that are linked in the episode description it's been wonderful to talk to you anya thank you so much for your time Thank you, Pip. It's been wonderful to be here. And that's it for another episode. I hope you enjoyed listening. Remember, you can use your exclusive discount code, PODCAST15, on all my online courses. And why not check out my free mini course while you're there too. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, remember to hit subscribe so you're the first to hear about all the upcoming chats too. And I'd be immensely grateful if you could take a couple of minutes to leave me a quick podcast review too. I look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Regulatory statement required. Breastfeeding is best for babies and provides many benefits. It is important that in preparation for and during breastfeeding, you eat a varied balanced diet. Combined breast and bottle feeding in the first weeks of life may reduce the supply of your own breast milk and reversing the decision not to breastfeed is difficult. Always consult your healthcare professional for advice about feeding your baby.